welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy, and uh, we're back at it to continue on with our Halloween uh, mar- marathon. Cult of Thorn timeline. That one. We're going to finish it because we waited too long to record it, and we're so sorry, but now you get two episodes in the same weekend, so yay! <laughs> sorry, family emergencies um, are hard. We, I, I literally haven't been home, like, every single day this week. Like, we've gone out to, like, do, like, family stuff every single day this week. And so I'm exhausted. Listen, in the era of COVID pandemic, uh, everyone is far more understanding. Yeah, <laughs> Whether true. it's COVID-related or not. Before we dive in to the Cult of Thorn conclusion, I just want to say one thing real fast i saw a what are they called not a commercial trailer Uh, yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) i got you Um, i read i read your mind i got it oh yes yes Mm -hmm. uh i saw a trailer for a new james wan movie and i'm so excited i haven't seen it yet i have i have i've really stopped watching so many trailers for like movies that i really want to see because i just feel like they give too much away like I went and saw the new Candyman, which was phenomenal. Um, and like the Halloween trailer, Halloween Kills trailer came on, and I literally like I like plugged my ears as best as I could, and I like started humming to myself and like closed my eyes because I didn't want to watch it. I hear like y- you find out too much, and I'm just like, no, 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 you're ruining the movie. Don't do this. It was only so. like a 15 second uh, ad on Amazon or something, but it had everything about James Wan that we love. It's called Malignant, and it shows... This is the this is the last one with Daniel Craig, right? I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't this a James Bond with Daniel Craig? James Wan. Oh, James Wan. <laughs> I keep hearing Bond, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's James Wan, producer of The Conjuring. <laughs> Yeah, okay, that makes more sense. And yes, I did hear Saw he has a movie coming out. And all those awesome movies in City. Yeah, yeah, so, I did hear he had a movie coming out. But yes, that should hopefully okay, be that, the last Daniel that, Craig movie that, for James Bond. That makes so much more sense. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Like, Daniel Craig, that's James Bond for like the last year. Oh, okay. All right, now I'm on track. James Wan. Do you know what the movie's called? It's called Malignant. And oh, that's right. Okay. It, so in the trailer, it shows this woman like running through her house, but it does like the super cool camera sweep motion where it's her and then it goes above the house. So it looks like a mouse, like you're looking at a mouse maze and it's her like running oh, oh, through like, the house. Oh, okay. It is so cool and I'm very excited. Hey, what do you know? McKenna Grace is in that movie. McKenna Grace has been like in half of James Wan's movies and the, like The Conjuring and stuff like that. She played, um, she played little, uh, daughter of the Warrens. She played the little, the young, the daughter Warren. I mean, I can't think of her name all of a sudden. For, oh, oh. No, 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 the Warrens. The Warrens, Warrens. gotcha. Yeah. Not Christina. (laughs) No. The other babies. (laughs) Gotcha. No, this is, this is the actress that I say looks just like Paige Fye when she was a, when she was a kid. I mean, that was my big thing. I just wanted to talk about that really fast because I saw it and I got so excited because the way the filming looks. I have no idea when it's coming out or anything about it. 
and I don't really want to know. I just want it to come out. <laughs> That's fair. I'm totally down. I have no idea what it's about, but it's James Wan, and his shit is amazing, so. Oh, I also had one more thing. Uh, we had a listener get back to us with their, I don't know if you want to call it a review, uh, but it was the quarantine episode. Oh, okay. They said that they are probably one of the few people who actually prefers quarantine over the rec movie, the REC, the original, uh-huh. uh, because <clears throat> they like the aspect that there's not like a religious twist to it, that it's a contagious virus mm-hmm. type thing. Well, when we're going through a contagious virus in the current world, um, it makes it even a little bit more real and terrifying. <laughs> But... Which is fair. So I understand that. Yeah. I, I kind of like that idea too, personally, just because, like, I don't know. Sometimes people like to really throw religion into everything. And I'm like, it really doesn't need to be there. I liked, I liked the twist on religion that Rec did. I couldn't tell you that I like the Virgin more version. I mean, that's more. fair. That's um, cool. I just like the Sorry. twist on demonic possession, I think, is interesting. Compared to a virus I don't care about. That's fair. Totally fair. But only because we're all quarantined out. (laughs) So the last thing I want to do is watch movies of quarantine. But yes, that was it. Thank you for sending in your thoughts. It's going to be on HBO Max. Whenever it comes out. September 10th. Oh, okay. It comes out September 10th, just so you know. Malignant? Yeah. Gotcha. September 10th, it'll be on HBO Max. And in theaters. Boom, boom. All right. Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. I watched this on Pluto TV. Pluto, I cannot talk. Pluto TV. Uh, It had some ads in it, but it was free. So that's that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Halloween 6 has the subtitle of The Curse of Michael Myers. And I think we talked about it in Halloween 5, where it's. I don't think The Curse of Michael Myers actually shows up in the title sequence. I think because they kind of tacked it on at the end. Uh, and it, it's only on the posters. I think. It's been a minute since I read that. Uh, and then it came out in 1995. Hey, I was born in 95. (laughs) This movie is as old as I am. It was quite a break between 5 and 6. Yeah. Well, I think they really tried to be, like, done with it for a minute. And then they're like, oh, let's do it again. I think it was... had more to do with... um... I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head right now, but... Because we know, we've talked about how the production company wanted to just keep punching these out, like, every year, if he could have. Yeah, it wanted to, like, continue it, like, Jason, it was basically still, like, going, trying to go head-to-head with Jason and um, Freddy, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Because they all have the longest fucking series in the goddamn world, and, (laughs) you know, some of them really didn't need to be done. Like Jason X. Um, I'm so biased against Jason, though, in the first place. So that's that. 
miscellaneous tangent because why not i just saw the coolest photo it's like a boudoir photo shoot but it's horror themed Mm. is and that the one that you just sent me or you added it to my to the wedding thing yeah i didn't mean to add yeah it to your wedding pictures. <laughs> oh, i was so confused i was like oh okay this doesn't but fit but like i was like you know what she could see it anyways <laughs> it's cool i i was like oh that's cool but i was like why are you adding this to the wedding thing this like this is i am not gonna have like raining blood at my wedding i'm sorry i just it i'm, was... I'm kind of going classy and elegant with my wedding my wedding just a little bit so you know it was interesting but i know what you're talking about it was cool i liked it so if you were going to do a halloween one you could just take sexy boudoir photos and just have a guy in a halloween mask creeping through your window and that's all of halloween (laughs) there you go perfect spot on and well to the cast to yep halloween six directed by joe chappelle uh he mostly does tv show episodes i didn't really see anything that i was particularly thrilled about that he had done i mean that's fair and the script for this was written by daniel ferens he has produced directed and written for a bunch of horror film documentaries including amityville films never sleep again the elm street legacy video documentary eight video documentaries about friday the 13th he produced damn. <laughs> yeah the haunting in connecticut and the i girl, love that movie the girl next door there's a second one right yeah okay we'll have to do those eventually i don't know if i've ever watched those uh, he is currently credited as a writer and director for a ted bundy film hmm. and one of his friday the 13th documentaries is seven hours long jesus christ and then because he couldn't get everything he wanted in that seven hours, he followed it up with a TV series. <laughs> oh, okay. I think he likes... He really, he really likes Jason. He really likes Friday the 13th. Oh, Friday... Yeah, yeah, Jason. God damn it, that's so much. That is... I'm impressed with anybody who keeps up with that, I'm not gonna lie. Like, that's a lot. But I also just... I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, now I feel like if we ever do Friday the 13th, I'll have to hunt that down and watch it. That's a lot. In bits and pieces. I'll be like, today, <laughs> I watched the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I don't know which movies it covers. I don't know. We're not going to talk about it. We're talking about Halloween. But, yeah, so he's got a history of writing documentaries, which is cool. I don't know how, well, like, how that differs from writing actual plot lines. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. Based off this movie alone, not well. <laughs> oh, no, no. This is a very rough movie. It's not, this is not movie a movie that a lot of people know of. Like, they don't watch this one often a lot. I, I think what she means to say is that people know of it. It's just not people's favorite. <laughs> yeah, people don't watch this one. <laughs> um, but anywho, the cast. Yeah. So, Dr. Loomis makes a... Re- well, Dr. Loomis, the character. Um, Donald Pleasance makes a return as Dr. Loomis um, because at this point they can't find any other Dr. Loomis and he still probably loves doing that part. He, as we've said, he really wanted these movies to do well and he tried really hard to be mm-hmm. an influence on the direction of these movies. 
and he's the only consistent thing about them, I guess you could say. I think this is his last one, too. Yeah, I believe so. So then we have this shape of Michael Myers. You know how they like to call him the shape, not really try and give him a name, or at least John Carpenter didn't. Uh, that was played by George Wilbur, who returned from Halloween 4, so at least they could pull him back in. <laughs> He's like, I need some money. I can go play this shape. And they have Tommy Doyle, who is the little boy from the first one that... Mm -hmm. I forgot her name. Strode. <laughs> he jumped a he was... jumped away from the car because it was too gruesome if he got killed by the car. No, that that's a different kid, but good try. Uh, Tommy Doyle's in uh... the original Halloween. He is. The oh, you're right. You're right. I'm thinking of the other one. The kid that Laurie Strode. Oh my gosh, that's her name. Yeah, Laurie Strode is babysitting. Yes, he's the first one to label him the boogeyman for the record, but he comes back grown and older. And he is played by none other than Paul Rudd. I fucking love Paul Rudd. <laughs> I was so surprised to see him. He's so young. So young in this. This is his first feature film. It came out the same year as Clue. Clueless. Sorry. As Clueless. Um, but he credits this as like his first feature film. I bet he had more fun doing this one. <laughs> He will not be playing Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills. I guess the filming schedule conflicted with his Ghostbusters Afterlife filming schedule. So that's kind of upsetting. Mm. But At he, least they tried to get him. Yeah, and he, I think he would have. Um, oh, I'm sure he would have. You can watch his audition for the Halloween 6 Tommy that's Doyle. That's awesome. And... I found it on YouTube uh, through Screen Rant. Like, they have it on theirs. Oh, okay. He seems to be very appreciative of his role in this film, even though it kind of tanked the series. Uh, not his part, specifically, but this movie. Right. It's kind of a... Oh, I'm so sorry. I just hit my microphone. Um, I'm talking with my hands. It was a rough movie. Yes. Uh, but he... And he knows it's not great, but he appreciated the opportunity and I don't think he is going to be one to trash talk it <laughs> he's like yeah it was a it was a bad movie but so in an interview with ain't it cool news what an awful name <laughs> anyway ain't it cool news <laughs> he is quoted saying that was the very first movie I'd ever done and I'm really thrilled that I was able to do it there was something trippy about working on a Halloween movie and seeing Michael Myers and seeing that face that I'd seen in movies and meet George Wilbur who played him, amongst others. <laughs> but he thankfully did Clueless because I think that's where his fame in future movies came from, <laughs> was that experience. He's he's a wonderful actor. I, he's, he's wonderful. I love him. He puts such a little, like, comedy twist on so many things and he's just such a good actor i agree i love me some paul rudd mm -hmm. my one of my favorite th things is like a little like entrance of him and this is the end when he comes running up with this giant ass bottle of champagne for fucking uh, uh james franco and he's like what the fuck what the fuck because the world is just ending in front of them 
It's really entertaining. I love that movie. I'll be honest, I haven't seen it. It's a really good it's a really good laugh because it just has everybody playing themselves. Even Emma Watson is in it. He is in Friends for some of the end seasons, and there's a part where he plays an invisible piano. And somebody on TikTok (laughs) matched his invisible piano with the frozen song Let It Go, and it's priceless. Because it matches very well. I don't watch Friends, so I okay. It is a Anyways, national treasure. I hey, he is a national treasure. So, moving on, we gotta keep going. Uh, we get some new characters now, like Kara Strode, who is played by Marianne Hagen. Um, she's I, we I didn't recognize her for anything. Did I know you didn't? No. Um, Doctor Wynn, who's played by Mitchell Ryan. He started acting while he was in the Navy in 1951, and uh, he was in the original Dark Shadows TV show. And I liked the I liked the remake, but I've seen some of the old one. It's really nice. I it's really nice. I really like it. Uh, then we have Deborah Strode, who is played by Kim Darby. Uh, she's probably best known for playing the little girl in True Grit next to John Wayne. Lucky girl. It's an old movie. Yeah, man. And he's cool. John Wayne's cool. <laughs> John Strode is played by Bra- uh, Bradford English. Wow, that is an English name. Bradford English. <laughs> the third. Duke da, 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 da. Sir, Brad- Sir Bradford England. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tim Strode, he's played by Keith Bogart. Beth is played by Mariah O'Brien. Jamie Lloyd is J.C. Brandy. And then you, Danny Strode is played by Devin Gardner. A lot of new pl- a lot of new Strodes out of nowhere. And this is not the same Jamie Lloyd that played in the fifth movie. Right, correct. No. So, let's get into why this movie is interesting. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. So, the beginning 10 minutes of this movie throws a lot of information at you, uh, and it does require you to, like, pay attention. Oh, yeah. And when I first, when it first started, I was like, am I even watching the right movie? I know. happening? I I question. So, I don't even own this one. This is the one that I don't own out of, like, every one that I have. And I always question this movie because I'm like, this isn't right. This is weird. It is. It's so weird. But it starts out with this woman who's giving birth and she gets wheeled into like this ceremonial room filled with doctors and nurses and of course a bunch of candles. It's like a it's like a solid fire ha- hazard. Massive that, fire hazard. That's what you want to worry about uh, when yeah. you're having a baby is sweating your balls off. Somebody's going to knock something over and that's going to engulf everything real quick. And so this nurse gives this unwilling ladies baby to a cloaked man i think she's strapped to the table so you you know that she's not right this isn't this isn't something that she's like wanting to do she didn't volunteer for this shit yeah uh so she gives the baby to a cloaked man it shows some sort of ritual thing happening in which the baby has this little that little like tent cult of thorn sign on his little chubby baby belly it's a rune it's a rune yeah and they it's that same rune that they randomly threw in to the fifth movie with zero explanation. 
and the one that i have on my wrist <laughs> they do what they always do and they give this very convenient quick recap of the previous films and yep. they reveal that jamie and michael disappeared at the end of the fifth movie because if you remember they were in the police station the man in black blows up the station murders everybody and they disappear mm-hmm. so the year starting this movie is 1995 which is six years after that police station massacre mm-hmm. and you also find out that this woman is actually jamie and I did the math. She's 15 years old when this happens. Michael is still there just creeping a creep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the nurse, like, randomly returns the baby to Jamie and helps them escape because she clearly isn't okay with whatever's happening. Now this cult of thorn is, like, kidnapping and there's weird child abuse because Jamie's 15 and I guess Mm -hmm. sexual assault of a minor because again she's 15 and who knows how she got pregnant right so right off the bat you're like wow this movie is it's a Jesus Christ situation yes Uh, you're like uh this is really dark and fucked up yeah uh then you get to 45 Lampkin Lane and that is the Myers house that lampkin lampkin kind of like pumpkin but with a lamp yep a, a jack-o'-lantern so, a jack-o'-lamp it's, it's a yeah <laughs> a, a lampkin a lampkin anyways the lampkin lane <laughs> uh, which is the home that myers murdered judith his sister in it finally mm-hmm. got sold but guess who do you think would buy such a house you ask why none other than Lori's adoptive family, the Strodes. <laughs> More specifically, it is Lori's dad's brother's family. He Gotta t- say slow in order to keep that in order. <laughs> I know, it's a lot. So it's Lori's uncle, basically. Right. Uh, he is very aggressive and angry <laughs> and uh, abusive. To his family. Yeah. He lives with his wife, his teenage son, and a college-age daughter named Carol. In addition to her son, whose name is Danny. And Danny has visions of the steel-toed shoe guy telling him to kill people. Or kill his family, I guess. Oh, cool. It, it's kind of like Scary Movie 4. Right, 4? Where uh, the little boys at school like drawing pictures of the girl in the well. Um, yeah. But he is drawing the thorn. A scary movie three, actually. Yeah, I always get them confused. You're right. Scary movie four has Saw in the World of the Worlds, because that's the one that's like, yo, you seen this red weed? And he's that, like, no. <laughs> Cross that red anyway. The one that killed the franchise. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Much like this. But movie. I still liked it. Technically, the fifth one killed it. It just shouldn't have ever been done. Sorry. Anywho. But yes, he's like drawing these little cult of thorn things everywhere and he can hear this voice and you're like, what is happening? Uh, basically, they're trying to establish what happened to Myers as a six-year-old yep. is the whole point of that, I guess. And then they're at breakfast and the uncle gets very aggressive with the his daughter carol and Mm -hmm. danny is just like 
steps in between them holding a knife and you're like oh okay that's how this is gonna go oh boy but it de-escalates very quickly and nothing happens right (laughs) she's like just give me the knife and he's like okay and they all just walk away And then there's like this other recap that happens uh, where the radio tells you that Haddonfield has banned Halloween since 1989. Good job, guys. (laughs) Right? About time. And the townspeople are trying to reestablish the holiday with a big kickoff party, which will host this radio show and whatever other crazies obsessed with Michael Myers. And of course, you know, it's all the teenagers in town. Yeah. And then there's people calling in and one of the people who calls in is like this whacked out lady who says she's in love with Myers and I'm like why just why coming um, coming from a radio host we would definitely have that person on just to be like why what makes you so like this because I mean honestly sometimes they don't show this in uh, in, in movies but in radio you have screened calls so any caller that calls in they're screened by an intern or by a producer. It's just, I don't know. I'll never understand that pathology, I guess. Dude, there's people that that used to write letters to Richard Ramirez. Like, I, come on. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting people in there's this There's some world. crazy people out there, yeah. Anyways. Back to the movie. Then you get introduced to babyface Paul Rudd, who also hey, calls boy. And he <laughs> is no longer eight years old. He is in his 20s now. And he has become obsessed with Myers because he's kind of has like this weird survivalist uh, yeah. obsession, I guess. And he has created a conspiracy that Myers was a rogue assassin for the government and they sent him to space because they couldn't control him anymore. And that line is actually put in there because we talked about it in the fifth episode, but along with Jason, they had discussed having them move to space. <laughs> like our Leprechaun. Yep. yep. So I'm Terrible glad- idea. Yeah, I'm glad they scrapped that. <laughs> Real quick. Oh. So... I thought you were going to say something because you were like, real nope. quick. And you get Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> so anyways, they he still lives across the street from the Stroud house with some random old lady. I, I don't know where she fit into that household. He has a room with red string, like much like our notes in our brains. 100%. He would fit well with us. That's all I got. Oh, okay. <laughs> So all of a sudden, Loomis is alive. Um, <laughs> he's living a quiet, retired life in the country, and he looks like he's like the sweetest old grandpa. And you know, I don't, I didn't really have too many. I didn't have a grandfather. Let's be honest. I had one until I was like five. I didn't. We didn't really have grandfathers. Yeah, we didn't know our puppies. <laughs> no, I was. I'm actually. I've always had a little bit of like jealousy of people who have grandfathers, and like especially ones that don't take advantage of it. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> Um, but he also listens to the radio and hears Jamie call in on the phone and giving like a warning and asking for help. And he notices that she didn't call the police or anything because she learned her lesson and now, and, and how actually useful, um, police were, you know, cause every time it's like the police get fucking murdered first and the whole station's a blood, di- a blood massacre disaster. I don't even know how they keep filling positions. <laughs> oh 
Oh, no, gee, yeah. At that point, you're like, it's like the Defense Against the Dark Arts situation where you're like, it just keeps getting replaced, and at some point, it's like, nah, dude, we're done. Yeah. Uh, what happened to the police officers before me? <laughs> so she manages to hide the baby before Michael catches her, and, uh, oh, yeah, okay. I thought I skipped something. Um, but she manages to hide the baby before Michael catches her, and Tommy finds it's 24 hours later, and uh, he follows her trail to the bus station and uh, that she made a call from. So he's basically just trying to find uh, Jamie. Because remember, they were friends. They survived yeah. together in the first movie. Right. So Never mind. I was thinking, never mind. Different one. Yep. I'm going to cut that out. I didn't say that. That's okay. That was Lindsay. Yep, I'm with you now. Okay. <laughs> they're all at the murder together. It's I know there's so many kids. You got to keep them straight. It's hard. Um, at the murder site, there, uh, there's the curse of thorn symbol, the tent symbol, as Izzy likes to call it. <laughs> I don't. It just looks the like tent a tent symbol. Um, but it's on bales of hay, and they act like yeah, like he's been leaving his mark, like it's like since the beginning. So Tommy runs to Dr. Loomis at the hospital when he's taking the baby there. And he shares all of these theories. And, and, and Dr. Loomis just... Dr. Loomis ends up breaking into the Strode Meyer house, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he scares the mom and is like, don't worry, lady. I'm, <laughs> I'm here. You don't you don't know me, but I'm here to help. And just offers him like a hot... And she's just like, oh, okay. Here's a hot beverage. And just let me listen to your stories as you broke into my house. Yeah, he's like, hello, old man. You look kind. Would you like some tea? And uh, feel free to tell me about the murderer who lived in this house. And at that point, I don't think the Strodes knew that was the house they moved into. The f uncle did, um, but the family did not know right. that was their house, which I find incredibly unbelievable because that would have been the talk of the town and the kids definitely would have heard about it at school. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They would have been like, you live in that house? Like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? There yeah. Yeah. Many uh, stories. And while Dr. Loomis is doing that, Tommy has taken the baby he named Stephen back to his Steven. house. Yeah, I don't know. Why not, Stephen? It's fine. And he has taken an oath to protect him. He babysits Danny when he gets home from school and no one else is home because Grandma Strode, that just served tea to a stranger, got got. He, she got murdered. <laughs> yeah. Because guess what? Michael Myers went home like he always does. He always go. I don't know why people don't understand this. Just move out of that fucking town. But, you know, okay. And then... Just, just let him live in that town. It's just exactly. his town. Just leave the house cleaned up for him and he can come and go as he pleases. <laughs> and there you go. It's like the ghost that you don't want to hurt you. So you just, like, leave it, like, random little offerings. Random side note. But just because you said that, there was an article that I didn't read, but it was <laughs> titled uh, Quarantining with Ghosts. And I was like, oh, oh, that's not something you think about when you're like, oh, so funny. you're stuck in your house, but also it's haunted. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> that's so funny. You call the police wanna... and they're like, wanna... uh, quarantine, could you just like put us on a Zoom call and show us the quarantine? Yeah. <laughs> Let me see that what you're what you're looking at right now. That'd be so funny. But anyways. So. Uh, yeah. So grandma's dead. Tommy randomly picked up the neighbor boy that he's never met. He just 
watches their house. And Carol, who's Danny's mother, is like, cool, whatever, and goes to Tommy's house. (laughs) Danny mirrors Tommy in the first movie when he sees Michael outside and he's like, look, mom, there's someone random standing outside. And they're like, the adults are talking and just completely ignore him. Much like because that's what you do when somebody random is standing outside of a of a fucking town that literally bans Halloween because there's literally a murderer who comes out and kills every Halloween. Yeah, you'd but think sh- you'd be the, a little the, more. The homage. adults are talking. Yeah, and Tommy decides that this is a great time to just break down his whole life story and his theory that he has spent his whole life working on. He describes the cult of Thorn, which. They describe as a pagan demon that spread sickness and brought death to masses of people. Oh, excuse me. I have the hiccups. It is rooted in Celtic lore. He shares a story of how one child from each tribe was chosen to be given the curse of Thorn, which required the afflicted child to murder their whole family as a blood sacrifice in order to protect the tribe. It's kind of, to me... Like the sinister movie demon, uh, because kind of. he you know picks one child who has to murder their whole family. He picks he picks the uh, the the odd man out in the family. And the practitioners and believers of Thorn would follow the constellation of Thorn, which is the tent idea. Mm-hmm. Which appears sometimes idea. on Halloween night in the shape of the tent or thorn symbol. And yeah, Carol's just like, okay, sounds legit. You know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm on it. You've clearly like, sp- got it. Okay. spent a lot of time on this. And then Red strings, man. Yep. The more you got, the better it looks, right? Exactly. <laughs> She's like, clearly you've thought this through. Who am I to argue? Clearly you're not insane. I mean, what's she going to do? Google it? No, I don't know. Uh, 995 (laughs) exactly she's like "Mm, you know what cult of thorn is in the one book of the thesaurus that I don't have (laughs) encyclopedia not thesaurus I meant encyclopedia she's like dang it I don't have the t's (laughs) anyways so Carol while she's leaving meets the old lady who lives with Tommy and they decided to just completely rewrite history in this moment (laughs) And the old lady talks about how when she was a babysitter at the Meyer house the night that Michael murdered his sister Judith at age six. Mm -hmm. And we all know from that first movie, there was no babysitter there. Judith and her gross boyfriend were babysitting. So, yeah, that part right there was like, now y'all are trying too hard. Bullshit. Exactly. And they, um, but also what kind of babysitter lets a 16 year old or however old she was just randomly have sex with her boyfriend when the parents aren't home? That also, yeah, I don't know one. That was weird. (laughs) And they also, yeah, you kids, you kids just be safe. Do you need a, do you want a drink? Do you need a condom? (laughs) She's like the mom in Mean Girls. Exactly. (laughs) And then she also talks about how Michael, at the age of six, had been having visions of someone he called the boogeyman prior to the murder as well. So they're trying to establish this new line of uh, some sort of demonic possession 
right type thing and they're also trying to say hey danny is now chosen good luck and then while all of this is going on the teenagers are at this big fair trying to kick off the halloween revival fiesta uh the teenager boy strode goes home with his girlfriend where myers is murdering everybody at that point and carol is watching from tommy's like little room of mystery i guess mm-hmm. and danny wanders on over there because again they just completely ignored danny presumably danny is being prompted who gives a fuck about the kids i know they're like it's all in the children and then they just ignore them ignore them yeah and Danny is, I guess, having visions or something. And so he just wanders over there. And now Carol is like, oh, no, let's save Danny. <laughs> and so while she is wandering through the house trying to find Danny, she happens upon all of the dead bodies of her family. Dun, dun, dun. Including her brother, the girlfriend, the mom, just everybody. And they leave this poor little Stephen baby in the house alone with the old lady, who clearly isn't a good babysitter to begin with. Right. Tommy and Loomis show up to find the baby missing, and the steel-toed shoe guy in black from movie five. Mm-hmm. Plot twist, it's the doctor who has been treating Myers since the beginning. What? That's supposed to be Loomis. <laughs> and then another plot twist the old lady babysitter is part of the cult of thorn they tie it all together in such a harmonious little way <laughs> it's so fucking bad it's so dumb uh, yeah they tried really hard and then carol gets scooped up and kidnapped by the cult of thorn crew and held captive in the psychological hospital which we learned in the Jack the Ripper movie with Johnny Depp, is the perfect place to cover up dark cult dealings. Yep. Tommy (laughs) finds Carol and the baby in the hospital while Michael is, like, roaming the hallway looking for them. And I I hate that they make Michael look like some subservient little bitch in this movie. (laughs) He really is yeah, because like, he's not, and that's the problem. Yeah, he's just, like, wandering around in this hospital, and he, like, I just pictured him, like, walking through the halls, and the nurses are like, hi, Michael, and he's just like, oh, just, like, nods his head. So, <laughs> mm. Yeah. And then there's, you know, they had, like, office parties or office birthdays, and they're like, Michael, we have cake, you want some? <laughs> like, he's just, like, sitting in a corner eating cake. Yeah, like... His hand's, like, giant as hell compared to, like, the fork that's just in it. He's, like, mashing it through his mask. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Apparently, Michael didn't like the cake because a few minutes (laughs) later, he just wanders into an operating room and murders everybody in it. (laughs) It straight goes ham on him. Yes. And he eventually finds Carol... And Tommy and chases them into the basement or pipe room because where else are you going to have a showdown? Right. Tommy ends up injecting Michael with like seven syringes of some green goo, which does not make Ninja Turtles, by the way. In this movie, anyway. Sounds a little Freddy vs. Jason kind of deal. Probably. And then the green goo really doesn't do anything. It kind of disorients Michael. But that's all Tommy really needed because he finds a giant pipe and beats the shit out of him. 
Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis, in that impeccable timing of his, shows up and helps Carol and the two kids escape. So Carol has Danny and the baby, and he leads mm-hmm. them out of the hospital. And then it ends with Tommy being like, come with us, Dr. Loomis, be our grandpa. <laughs> and Dr. Loomis is like, no, I must attend to the hospital. And the four of them drive off. Michael is apparently wandering around maskless somewhere because Dr. Loomis finds his mask where he should have been laying, but nobody. And at the very tail end, it says, In memory of Donald Pleasance, who died February 2nd, 1995, prior to the film's release. Bummer. Uh, He was so upset with this movie that he didn't even want to see it come out. (laughs) He's like, I'm out. But that's the end of the movie. So there is a different cut of it. Uh, There's a... I don't know if it's the theatrical cut or the director's cut. We talk about it in detail later. But if Mm -hmm. what you are remembering this movie as doesn't sound like what I just said, that's why there's different versions out. So thoughts on this movie. I hate it. I think it's a clever idea for its own standalone movie if you were going to not relate it to Michael or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting idea. Does it belong in the Halloween franchise? No. Do people appreciate that they tried to rewrite the whole franchise? No. No. <laughs> Was Michael a little bitch? Yes. Yeah. And, and he's not. That's the problem. And that's like what the whole ending is. He gets, it's not even that he is like, I'm tired of you telling me what to do. It's just that he gets frustrated and he throws a tantrum Mm -hmm. and murders anyone near him. Because he's like, yeah, he's like, I can't find him. It's like he was playing hide and seek and he sucked and he got mad and quit. And so he just murdered everyone. (laughs) He goes and tattletales to the parents, but instead of tattletaling, he kills them. Exactly. So, (laughs) yeah, that's that one. I also don't so, like what they did with Jamie. Um, the theory, although it's not in the movie, the theory is that it's the spawn of Michael and Jamie, which is even grosser. Uh, I don't think Michael would have... I don't think he has the capacity uh, to have sex. Probably not. But it's just like a really icky thought, and I hate it. And she was 15, and I don't think they intended for that to be the case in the movie, because she certainly doesn't look 15, I think they just right. do the math and the ages because they didn't care. And we've seen that before in these movies. Yeah. Um, but when you do the math and it's just extra icky. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, and then they like continually feel they continuously feel like they have to do all these weird recaps uh, to remind people of the other movies <laughs> and rewrite parts that they didn't like and... They're like, don't forget, this was a part of it. Oh, for oh, remember this. Hey, remember this and what you thought really happened? That's not what happened. That's that didn't that didn't really happen. Yeah, so, it just provided more plot holes and it disrupts the continuity that fans really like in movie franchises. So yeah. Well, shall we go through the victims? Yes. Let's take a stroll through our graveyard. Stroll through the graveyard. First, we have Nurse Mary. 
She was uh, her head was impaled on a wall spike. Woohoo! Um, That's the one got... that saved Jamie and her baby at the very beginning. Yeah. We have the motorist whose head was snapped open. Because uh, that's that's just how cool he is. Jamie Lloyd. Wear your helmets. <laughs> oh, yeah, for real, dude. Um, Jamie Lloyd was impaled and ripped apart on on a corn thresher. Is that what it's called? A corn thresher? Yeah, that's what they drive through. Yeah. The, yeah. I didn't know it was, that's what it was called. <laughs> uh, Deborah Strode, who was axed. Hey, I bought I bought uh, a candy mold that I put ice in. It has an axe in it. It has an axe shape. <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought you were going to talk about the uh, deodorant. <laughs> I bought the axe deodorant. Axe body spray. It's nope. called. It's called axed by Myers. <laughs> God. John Strode was electrocuted by uh, being pinned to the fuse box when he caused, uh, which causes his head to explode because. That normally happens in an in 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 electrocution, right? I guess. <laughs> Barry Sims was stabbed in the chest. Tim Strode has his throat slit with the kitchen knife. Beth was obsessively stabbed in the back. A lot. Um, the lunatic lady was stabbed in in the tum tum <laughs> stomach. <laughs> tum tum. Uh, now I just want one of those. Now I just want one of those suckers. Now you want a tums. <laughs> I want a, I want a tum tum. The plural. Aren't for they tum-tum. called tum? <laughs> aren't they called tum tums though? I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe I think of something else. I thought I thought they were suckers. They're like the little ones that they would like give you in like classes and stuff. They're really really cheap. No. Dum dums. Those are dum yeah. dums. My dumb ass. Okay. Dum dum. It's gum gum. <laughs> That's a night at the museum reference. Yep. <clears throat> Um, Dr. Bonham, Don, Mrs. Blankenship, full, four cult doctors, and the rest of the Thorn, the Thorn cult. Wow, this is really hard for me to say right now. <laughs> and the rest of the Thorn cult, Dr. Terrence, uh, win all, they, they're all, like, diced in the surgical, like, with a surgical machete. They're all just fucking sliced in half and killed and... Sliced and diced and ready to serve. <laughs> uh, then you have the cult doctor and uh, his his head is jellied through metal bars. Jellied? Yeah, he takes it and like pushes it through the bars. <laughs> it's an interesting way of pushing or of like putting it though. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a jelly mold. Or like when you do Play-Doh. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And that's it. The excuse me. You good? I feel like there weren't as many murders in this movie, but I think it's just because they are spaced out, and there's not a lot of large group ones like in the other movies. I feel like there are more like group murders, except for the first one, I guess. I don't know. This movie, this whole thing, just, it felt weird, and it wasn't... This movie, it's it's so off compared to all the other ones. Like, it's just, it's it's off. It's it's off. Yeah, it doesn't have... Like, Myers is just there killing people. He doesn't really have, like, a personality, I guess right. you could say. I don't know. It's weird. Anywho. Behind the scenes. So, 
Uh, in the producer's cut of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, Jamie is only stabbed by Michael in the beginning and remains in Haddonfield Memorial Hospital for most of the movie. She ends up being killed by Terrence Wynn, who shoots her in the head. Huh. Also in the producer's cut, it is more than implied that Michael is the father of her son. So Gross. People, yeah, grossed out. They took that up. Gross! Do you prefer this ending for Jamie rather than having her just straight murdered by Michael? Like, do you like the complication of Terrence Wynn and everything? No. I... I think I don't know. I don't know. I just I feel I feel so like I just this movie just shouldn't have been done. <laughs> so I think this particular ending for Jamie fits a little bit more with what they tried to do with the fifth movie because he did have like this weird soft spot for her. Because I mean that's true. Um, so I could see him stabbing her and then like knowing she's alive and then leaving and then Ter- Terrence Wynn coming in and being like you are his weakness and then murdering her. But um, either way, like you said, I have no preference. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to Daniel Ferens, he originally planned for Jamie to die near the end of the movie in a fight against Michael while she lets the others escape, giving her more of a heroic death. She's the heroine that nobody ever thought ever saw. <laughs> I mean, it would have been a cool ending, I guess. Uh, Jamie's name was Brittany in the original script, but was changed in order to pay homage to Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she comes about in the fourth movie. That was just something I found later. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Melissa Joan Hart auditioned for the role of Jamie. That's hilarious. (laughs) After seeing her as the teenage witch, I couldn't vision her in this movie. No. She's too pure. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Screen Rant has an article describing the differences between the producer's cut and the theatrical version. So this is what we talked about earlier. I thought that I had watched the producer's cut, but after reading this, I was like, maybe I didn't. I don't know what version I watched. (laughs) Uh, I guess the ending in the producer's cut is wildly different. So instead of Tommy injecting Michael with the green goop, which is actually like corrosives, by the way, so it should have done some fucking damage, but it didn't. Tommy uses the runes to stop Michael. There's a photo uh, that I found where it's Michael surrounded by the runes on the floor. And it's kind of like the crystals and charmed. It's like that effect. Uh, they close the circle and he can't go anywhere. He's just like immobilized. Which I think uh. is kind of stupid, but I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Dr. Loomis finds Michael surrounded by these runes. And then Dr. Wynn ends up transferring the mark of thorn to loomis and michael escapes the hospital in a disguise how do you feel about that dr loomis taking over the cult of thorn god that'd be so terrible he's already such a like a terrible person (laughs) i think uh, there's no quotes for this that i have but I don't think Dr. Loomis or Donald Pleasance would have liked that for his character. So there is a part in this movie where Dr. Wynn is trying to convince him to come back to the hospital, work for him, work with him. And when he finds out he is the Cult of Thorn, Dr. Wynn is like, hey, you want to join us? You could be great. You could help lead. And he's like, are you fucking nuts? I'm Van Helsing. I don't do that shit. Van Helsing. And so that would be like the ultimate fuck you is to transfer it to Dr. Loomis. But... 
Yeah. I'm transferring it doesn't make sense to me. The whole thing doesn't make sense because they curse one child who's supposed to murder their family to save the world or whatever. Right. And so they're supposed to be transferring it to Jamie, Jamie's baby, right? But mm-hmm. then randomly Danny is having visions, and I don't know why. And then they are going to transfer the mark to Dr. Loomis. So would that mean he's the new murderer, or is he just, like, part of the cult? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. Right. Anywho. It leaves far more questions in that ending than it does just having Myers disappear like he usually does. There are even more endings that they had filmed or discussed or something out there. There is a YouTube episode that shows some of them, but HalloweenMovies.com has them listed in an interview with Ferens, and here they are as follows. Originally, originally, Loomis was going to be the surprise twist death at the end of the film. After the battle of all battles between Loomis and Dr. Wynn, Wynn was dead and Michael was again missing. Loomis stops and asks, why not me, Michael? At which point the shape appears out of the darkness, slits Loomis's throat, and a huge, oh, with a huge slash of his knife. And then that's it. (laughs) In another version, Loomis discovered that Kara was dead in the bus station where Jamie had hidden the baby earlier in the film only to find little Danny, bloody and catatonic, holding a knife and the baby. So they did another, like, surprise thing they did with Jamie, where uh-huh. the, it, the kid takes on the thing. Which, I I mean, it's not a bad way to end it. If you're going to... It's more Halloween than these movie is, this movie. <laughs> In another version, Wynn gets into a helicopter to escape the carnage at Smith's Grove, which is the psychotic... Or the psychiatric hospital. Uh He thinks he's got the baby in his black satchel and doesn't realize until it's too late that Tommy has taken the baby and put a bomb in its place. No big deal. Just it's just a bomb. This is more like Bruce Willis action movie. (laughs) Yeah, straight up. It's weird. Uh, The helicopter and when, of course, blow up as Tommy, Kara and the kids make their escape. There's just too many endings that they could have possibly done. Like, this is ridiculous. I think if your story, when you get to the end of your story, if the ending is not clear to you, yeah, you need to go back to the beginning and middle. Because yeah, it's not, like, there are a lot of books and movies that end in a way that people don't like, but they can respect it because the author's like, do you know what? It just, there was, like, no other way for it to end. This is just how right. it had to end. Whether right. Whether liked it or not, that's what happened. But that's not the case with this one. Because there was no clear storyline to begin with. Uh-uh. No. It was weird. They were just like, we're gonna go through all these things, and we're just gonna kill all these people. And... Yeah. One of the reasons I think it took so long for this movie to come out wasn't because they were actually trying to put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> um, but the... Right. The rights to the franchise went up to bid once again, and Carpenter and New Line Cinemas, I think is what it's called, submitted a bid because Carpenter wanted his franchise back because he saw where it was going, and ultimately it was Akkad and Harvey Weinstein that uh, ended up buying it. Huh. But, like, I think if Carpenter had gotten it back, uh, one, he may have 
fixed the franchise or two he would have been like no more <laughs> now that that's I own why it I it ends here I think that's what he's trying to do now at this point is he's like he's like okay we're going back from the beginning here's how this is done and it's done and I think he's gonna finish it off after these like two um, if you're so. gonna title one Halloween ends it should end there <laughs> yeah so uh you know uh you know how uh the last one was kind of filmed in salt lake city well this one was filmed in salt lake city too shout out to the hometown um <laughs> however uh there was an early snow in 94 so they had to do like they had to like fake fall for part of it which i feel like would be really hard especially in utah if there's like a good snow well, they either had to fake a fall in a summer climate in California or fake a small in the winter climate of Utah. <laughs> either way, yeah, man. they were screwed. Yeah. And a as we said, Loomis died shortly after the main filming was completed. So any reshoots that were done, they had to use a stand-in. So that was unfortunate. But it was also ti it was almost titled Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers, which maybe... Well, actually, that would not have made sense if you were going to do it, like, him trying to create a new fucking thorn off of his own spawn or something. Like, that's just weird. That's just wrong. <laughs> it's all wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was your favorite murder? Or death? Uh, um, I don't know that it was my fa I don't know that maybe it wasn't my favorite death, but it was, like, my favorite way that he, like, dealt with the death. Um... Obviously, the nurse Mary was who was impaled against the wall was like a, th a like flashback to like the first one where like he stabs homeboy and then just stares at him. But I really enjoyed the, I think it was Barry Sims that he stabbed in the chest and then like hung up in the trees with lights. That was I was just like, oh, you got creative. Look at your art side go, Michael. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I I think you're right because that's the. He's like a radio personality or producer or something. Yeah, something like he was like stabbed in his in his van or something or his van or his truck or something, and then all of a sudden there's like an angel there's like an angel dancing underneath him, and she's like getting covered in blood, and Paul Rudd looks up and he and he sees Homeboy, and he falls out of the tree right at like the perfect moment as Paul Rudd looks up at him, you know. Of course. I think that was my favorite one, just because it was it was so artsy and detailed. My favorite was the death of this franchise. <laughs> well, that's fair. No, this... Uh, I was going to say, it's not really the death of it, because it's still going. Not not the franchise, but this particular Just story. this story, like yeah. the storyline. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. No, I liked... I don't know. Except for that one, like you said, they're not as intricate and detailed as the other movies yeah um I, a lot of them kind of happen either off screen not necessarily off screen but like in the background so you don't get the cool or factors. it's either that or it's like it's like so gruesome that it's so fake that you don't like actually get to see anything happen like homeboy who gets jellied through the bars <laughs> yeah it's i don't know it's weird but, I mean, not to be a copier, but yours. <laughs> the same yeah. one that you said. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino also had an idea for the script of number six. Um, his script would have 
oh would have been awesome probably well with quentin tarantino like his shit's great so i would have loved to see this but um his script would have picked up uh after the man in black broke michael uh out of haddonfield out of the out of the jail in haddonfield and followed the two as they do a bloody road trip through route 66 which would be would have been pretty interesting but also not made sense at all considering michael normally only kills in haddonfield or on his way to haddonfield I just picture it being like two buddies, <laughs> like supernatural, because they were yep. driving. If I remember, they were driving it in not an Impala, but a Chevy. It something. was it was some. Um, but I just picture them driving, and the man in black is just like talking and listening to stuff, and Michael's Michael, just sitting there, much like Moose, just like feeling awkward and just perfectly back straight the whole it's like, time, okay. just there. <laughs> and he's like. Hey, um, I gotta go to the bathroom. Just don't kill anyone. And he gets out of the, he like walks out of the porta potty and he wipes his hands. Everybody's dead. Everyone's dead. And Michael's just like eating chips in the car. <laughs> He's like, dude, I could have just bought those. <laughs> He's like, come on. Um, in this version, they would have stopped at different locations with Michael getting souvenirs at each place. So a rib here, finger there, his usual collectibles, an ear, a tooth. I mean, I don't remember him collecting things. He doesn't collect things. That's the problem. I think that was something Tarantino was trying to add. I I mean, I'm sure, however, he did it. He could have made it work. But it is weird. It's a different direction for Halloween. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It, It would be an interesting movie. As I said, like, these movies as standalones or as an anthology kind of a thing would be interesting. Almost kind of like what they're doing. Well, not not exactly, but like the the new like American Horror Stories. The, like, what it was originally supposed to be, kind of like that he that fucking John Carpenter wanted. So, anyway, doing some in movie details, the autopsy of the movie, if you will. Autopsy, Michael Myers. Ooh, so the Halloween wiki has a full biography for Myers, which they have broken down based on the differing timelines. This background comes from the Chaos Comics Halloween number one. To be honest, Uh. the comics sound really good compared to the movies. (laughs) Well, they they more often than not are. They also throw in some details about his life at Smith's Grove following his first murder of Judith at age six. He was sent to Smith Grove Sanitarium, where he was placed under the care of Dr. Terrence Wynn, who brought in Dr. Loomis later. You would think that the cult would have had their own, like, therapist enlisted. Yeah, Uh, for real. Like, they'd have that already set up. Yeah. And been working on other shit. Exactly. And then they could be, like, promoting Myers instead of actually having a provider who's trying to fix him. (laughs) Right. Uh, During his 15 years... That he was in that sanitarium, a bunch of bizarre deaths occurred. One such death included an older patient named Tony O'Malley, who had the same manifestations as Myers. However, he had a more violent twist. So, we're going to go into a little bit about his time at the sanitarium based off these comics, because I started reading it and I was intrigued. So, you have to listen to it. (laughs) Deal. Witnesses at the sanitarium report that O'Malley had been bullying Myers, and next thing anyone knew, there was a crayon stuffed into O'Malley's brain. 
The story goes that O'Malley tried to attack Michael in his sleep, but Myers was prepared and shoved a crayon into his left eye, which caused him to become more erratic and violent. So kind of like a lobotomy. But the opposite, Mm. because lobotomies made people calm. Right. A patient named Roger got blamed for it instead, and Roger was known for being an expert on the Bible, but also was really into self-flagellation, because uh, what is one without the other, apparently? Mm. That's what people think. If you don't know what self-flagellation is, that's where they, like, take the whip and, like, whip their backs. I was literally about to look that up. (laughs) Yeah, it's in... It's in the, uh, the the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, I was trying to think. I kept wanting to say the demon angel or something, but the Da Vinci Code. Angels and demons. There you go. But yeah, it's it's the second part to that. Yeah, and it's to mimic what Christ went through on his walk to the right. cross hill. Yes, we know religion. Cruc- to the crucifix, the crucifixion, fat cross of, I don't know. The cross of The cross of fiction. <laughs> Oh, how many We're people? We're really religious. Can you tell? Are you offended yet? <laughs> I hope not. Or maybe, maybe it's a good thing. It'll keep you around so you can be like, "Fuck you guys." I don't know. Sorry. But poor Roger was later found having bit off his own tongue and choked to death. And although it was ruled God a suicide, Doctor Loomis suspected otherwise. He believed Michael did it. Exactly. He thinks Michael was behind both of those murders. The art for these murders is incredible. Google it. Um, Another incident was a patient named Adrian Wade who ate an entire birthday cake that was made for Myers on his seventh birthday. Wade was later found in the shower room with second degree burns all over his body of which he died from. So kind of like an Ender's Game. Mm -hmm. But he didn't die of burns. I guess he hit his head. Ignore, I didn't say that. But he was in a bathroom. There you go. There you go. In 1971, which would have made Myers like 14, Dr. Carpenter thought it would be a great idea to host a Halloween party. Did you catch that? Carpenter? They copied the name. In the children's ward. And Dr. Loomis thought that was a fucking awful idea. But of course, no one listens to Dr. Loomis and they were like, but they're children. So the children. What have you been? Dr. Loomis, nothing. Exactly. So they Only had every bit of it. They had a bunch of family friendly children games, uh, such as musical chairs. With, uh, I don't know what schools you went to, but it is my experience that nothing could promote violence more than musical chairs. <laughs> so you like hitting somebody with one of the chairs? Well, or no. like fucking throwing somebody off of one? It's a competition game. Like, it's not a friendly, soft game. Like, four corners. It's like shoving people out of chairs. Four fucking corners. Oh my god, I forgot about that shit. And getting shoved out of chairs and being like, you cheated. So, that's not a friendly game for violent children to play. (laughs) But there was a young patient named Nancy who was behind Myers and had been pushing him off a chair, causing him to be out. And then to add insult to injury, she teased him about it. Probably like... I'm just a girl. Ha ha. That's all I've got. Ha ha. <laughs> Your parents don't love you. Hey, fuck you. During the party, the electricity was knocked out by a faulty generator. And when the lights came back on, everybody was just fine. And Myers was handing out punch at the snack table. Not really. That's not what happened. They found the poor Nancy 
who was dressed as a witch. She was dead. Uh, prior to the electricity going out, Nancy had been bobbing for apples, and afterwards, she was drowned in the apple bobbing bin. Convenient. <laughs> <laughs> that same night, a psychiatrist named Jennifer Hill, get it, Hill, Deborah Hill. God, oh my God. Uh, was also found dead. <laughs> she agreed with Loomis that Myers should have been put in a max security prison and not in a mental hospital. She agreed to back Dr. Loomis in his official request to have Myers moved if he would go on a date with her. Blackmail? Jesus. Not a legitimate way to do things. Apparently, it worked, though, because they fell in love. <laughs> was the Halloween party <laughs> was two months before their wedding. While Loomis was trying to prove that Myers was behind Nancy's death, Jennifer was trying to calm him down and convince him to quit and start his own private practice. Later that evening... Jennifer Hill was doing night checks and found Michael in the hallway. She chased Michael to the roof. I find that a little wild because what insane asylum has... I'm sorry, Why would you go chasing after Michael Myers? Well, not only <laughs> that, but why is there a roof Why is there access, access to the roof? Yeah. <laughs> if you can't have windows, you shouldn't have roof access. Uh, but the story goes... That she fell off the roof, but basically he pushed her off the roof. Right. Her death was ruled a suicide, and thus Dr. Loomis became absolutely obsessed with proving to everybody that Michael is crazy. And The spawn of Satan! Exactly. So these stories of him getting away with all these murders and no one believing Dr. Loomis makes so much sense as to why he's so obsessed with people believing him and seeing Michael for who he really is. Right. Like, that part I get. That makes a lot of sense. And then, because comic books are cool, I looked more at the Chaos Comic Halloween franchise, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, in the comics, what happens to Tommy? So a few years after Halloween 6 events... On October 30th, Michael Myers breaks into a doctor's office at the sanitarium, and at that exact same moment, Tommy wanders in and pulls out Dr. Loomis's files, not aware that Myers is holding a knife to the doctor who owns the office and hiding behind a door or something. Oh, lovely. Michael ends up following Tommy to his house, and then on Halloween, they have a big old scuffle in which Michael survived, of course. And he goes back he to his... everything. Yep. He goes back to his own house because, as Katie said, the town decided to just have food cooked for him every night and keep it clean because they were like, fuck it, why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And from there, he watched the former Sheriff Lee Brackett stuff Richie Castle's body into his car. Who is Richie, you may be asking? Well, he is the little boy who had been bullying Tommy at school in the very first Halloween movie. He, he grew up to be a failed realtor and husband. Apparently, there's a lot of realtors in this very tiny house or tiny town of Haddonfield, which nobody moves to because of all these gruesome murders. So much competition. On October 31st, 1999, Richie decided to burn down the Myers house, which it was four years after the events of movie six. <laughs> Took you long enough. So then you might be wondering, well, why was the sheriff, 
who was Andy Brackett's dad from the second movie? First. No, Andy Brackett. Is that the first? You're right. You're right. That's the first. You're right. I'm sorry. Andy Brackett's dad shoving Richie into his trunk. Well, the sheriff shot him. And <laughs> uh, this all doesn't matter because in the H2O timeline, Richie is alive. But anyways. So so contradicting. God damn it. Yeah. But the Chaos comic timeline, Richie's dead. The sheriff shot him and put him in the truck. Shortly after the sheriff drives off, Richie's friends Lonnie and Keith come looking for him. And Keith is beheaded by Michael. Lonnie gets stabbed to death. And there's another showdown between Michael, Tommy, and the sheriff in a church. Tommy survived. Michael disappears again. God, he's good at getting away. And then in this comic book series, Michael discovers Laurie Strode is alive and he hunts her down. She murders him and then takes his identity. How the fuck would you do that? I think it's uh, just more of people like being becoming so obsessed with him that they just become him. And then hmm. what happens to baby Steve, you might be asking? Because nobody knows. According to the audiobook by Nexus Productions, which picks up right after the events of Halloween 6, a few weeks after those events, Stephen would be left with Tommy Doyle's cousin, Darren, as a safety precaution thought up by Tommy himself in order to protect Stephen from any future harm from Michael. I think he should have just taken him to, like, a hospital in a different state and been like, hey. Cause you can you just go, like, seven states over, drop the fucking kid and go. Exactly. That way he can't be traced. But, you know, whatever. Alright. Uh, but that is all the, the stuff comics. Yep, related to Halloween 6 and a little bit of some Myers Those would be fun childhood. comics to read. I'm sure they're kind of hard to follow because there's so many timelines and people of course, it's like fan art. It's mostly fan art. Um, mm-hmm. The directors and Carpenter have nothing to do with any of it. Right. So it's, I'm sure it's really good, to be honest. So for the next few things, uh, they're just like little background details that we picked up on. um, And I did a lot of research on because it interested me. Curiosity kills the cat, you know. But satisfaction brings it back, you know. Ha, nice. So there's the boogeyman theory, because, you know, he's been called the boogeyman since Tommy Doyle first started talking about it, basically. And uh, we found this on mythology.net. One of the first references goes back to the 1500s, although oral history probably goes back a lot further. There's just no record of it because it's oral history. (laughs) You too. The origin. I know, man. Some people don't know. They're like, what the fuck is oral history? I don't know. Never mind. Um, the oral, the original reference is uh, probably referring to the hobgoblins, um, and those are those are friendly and mischievous little creatures that pull pranks on people. If you don't know, and however, there there's there's some lore that describe them as little bastards, and uh, they that like to torment humans and fuck with us. So you know, there's that too. But they sound so pleasant. I know, don't they? But now the boogeyman lore is more themed around a dark spirit or entity that terrorizes naughty children at night, which makes it more obvious that it's like the tales that parents 
tell their children to scare them to like keep them like in line and not doing dumb shit. <laughs> in the UK, they were originally described as the buggy man like creature who were responsible for picking up corpses. Gross. Um, yeah. These were described as sickly skeletor looking things. In my head, I thought like Slender Man for some reason. <laughs> I could see that. I think they were more uh, cockroachy. <laughs> yeah, like Um, have you seen you've seen uh, have you seen? We talked about this conjuring too, the crooked man, the way that they make him look, like the way they make him like look and walk. Kind of like that, I think. He would make a good boogeyman. 100%. I'm excited for his movie. Um, another origin story comes from, like, ghostly activities, or it comes from ghostlyactivities.com. It's traced to Western Europe and has to do with a priest that decided to prey on children. So the details on this, are like, on this origin are very minuscule, but it appears that he would convince parents to give their, their bad kids to him for punishment, which apparently were so horrific that one parent's once parents figured out what he what he was doing, they decided to kill him. How very Freddy. Exactly. That's what I thought too. I was like, that looks that's okay. Different versions have different deaths from the priest, including buried alive in a shallow grave, um, hung from a tree in a cemetery or town square, buried alive, beheaded in front of a church, um, or well, his church or congregation, locked away in the church's basement to starve to death. But, again, it sounds a lot more of the inspiration for, like, Nightmare on Elm Street's Freddy for, like, taking... I mean, granted, he was just... More like he was just a child killer, and, and the parents were just like, well, fuck you. Um, this, it's an idea-ish. If this were a inspiration for a boogeyman story, right, to scare children straight... Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what this is scaring children from. It's but not, church. It's yeah. scaring them away from church. I'm going to tell you that right now. He's not swooping in and stealing them. He's not kidnapping them. He's supposed to be a trusted, safe, individual man of God. So mm -hmm. maybe if you like church, don't tell your children this story. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ghostly Activities also says that the fear, uh, the fear is the main attractor to the boogeyman. So it feeds off the negative emotions in order to stay in the physical realm. Uh, if a boogeyman takes a child, they present as being in a coma or having died in their sleep. So oh, it's more that like they don't snatch the body. They take, they take the soul. Yes. Um, the article also says that if you see the face of the entity, then the kid's soul most certainly is getting snatched. So like, if you see the face, you're fucked. <laughs> In general. Exactly. Um, which kind of leads back to the sinister idea. Do they see the faces? Do, does everyone see the faces? Or is that just not, the kids? That not see everyone. Them? The kids do and the, the dad does. Oh, yeah, because we had talked about um, if every family had had haunting experiences prior. Yeah. Or if it was just him because he it's, was actually It's the kids it. and then it's the dad. Gotcha. So that sounds that sounds a lot more like sinister kind of thing. Ghost Activity's version of the Boogeyman has a black cloak that helps it stay invisible and open portals under a bed, uh, in a closet, or in between places. This... Uh, hang on, hang on, I'll get to my point. 
Uh, it also carries a bag in which a pocket dimension, uh, it's like a pocket dimension like Mary Poppins' bag where you can kind of just go anywhere. Um, if you happen to take the sack from him, then you can now control him. But this is a very risky game because once he gets it back, you're fucked. The beginning of this, the, the black cloak that helps him stay invisible, open portals under the bed and the closet in-betweens. Basis idea of the actual, like, movie Boogeyman. Have you ever seen that? It came out forever ago. No. It scared th it scared the living fuck out of me for a long time. That movie was I own it. Um man, I don't know. I when about... I think Boogeyman, I think Don't Look Under the Bed from Disney. I haven't watched any of the adult versions of the Boogeyman. <laughs> okay, we'll have to do this then because this movie it came out in 2005. That's why it scared the fuck out of me. It came out in 2005. I was literally like, what, 10? <laughs> so, I, um, I would be interested to see a movie where someone gets the sack from him and is controlling him. Or like an episode on Super Supernatural or something where someone's controlling the sack of the boogeyman. And then at the very end, like Sam and Dean, I don't know. Somehow they the the boogeyman gets the bag back and just they walk away and the boogeyman's going crazy on the owner. Um, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But yeah, we'll have to talk about the boogeyman because that movie really scared me as a kid and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but it's because I would also like I would see that kind of thing like clothing sitting on a, on a chair or something in like a black cloak and be like, oh my god, there's somebody in my room. <laughs> There, there are so many different boogeyman stories out there, and they're never going to be the same. There's going to be always, always these little differences, but it always comes back to scaring, scaring kids into being good kids. Um, let's see. There's, there's a couple of examples that we've got. The, the wee wee gobble, <laughs> go gobble, gobble. Is that know. how I'm saying? I don't know. We're gonna, we're gonna go with that. The wee wee gobble, um, is a boogeyman in. Semarange? Semarange? None of this is English. It's... Oh, oh, okay. It's so, it's in culture. a... Yeah. yeah. It's this. It's central Java. Uh, but she's said to kidnap children who are abused or neglected and hide them until the parents learn a lesson. However, it, it it's... It isn't like snuggles and sunshine for the children that's kidnapped because in her custody, they must eat poop until they're allowed to go home. That is another story. I don't really know how that scares children straight because if they are already neglected and abused, like, is it parents Yeah. telling them, like, you're not neglected, you're just fucking fine? Or, like, do you want to play the victim? I don't know. I don't really get that story as far as, like, a scaring children story. Yeah, that that's fair. Unless it's... Then Unless it's children who are neglected and abused and they tell this story or their parents tell this story to cover up the abuse at home. Something like that I could see. Um, then there's El Coco and uh, he's a it's a Hispanic origin and he sneaks into the windows of naughty children and eats them. So El Coco is going to come get you. Yum. Uh, Mac. And I'm, I'm murdering half of these. I'm sorry. They're all different kind of... They're different ethnics and from different, like, backgrounds and stuff. So, the Ta-Ta-Dunde? Dun-Dun-Dunde? Dun... From Latin America. It's all... <laughs> uh, it's Mayan fo folklore. And he is 
he has backwards feet and no thumbs. He is a very complicated boogeyman. Like, he is considered the protector of the jungle, which makes him good. But he also finds pleasure in luring misbehaving children into the jungle and trying to bite off their thumbs. He's after your thumbs. He's kind of like the Jeepers Creepers, where if he eats your thumbs, he gets your thumbs. Yeah. He just consistently bites them off himself, though, maybe. Uh, There's also the Night Hag. Uh, she's an evil spirit that causes sleep paralysis and nightmares. She feeds off the fear of nightmares of her victims, which she creates by sitting on their chest while they're sleeping. So, like, a minor explanation of, like, when you feel like you can't breathe when you're having, like, a nightmare or something like that. There's a movie that came out last year that's about that lady. They make it way more complicated and stupid, uh, but that's what it is. It's she sits on their chest it causes sleep paralysis and only the person who she's sitting on can see them and they like haunt and then eventually they die i can't remember interesting that's weird it's actually a good movie up until they try and explain it um it's good if you can remember what it was what it is i would love to watch it i will google it while you keep talking okay finally uh there's the jumbi which comes from the caribbean folklore and these are evil human spirits that, like the Disney princess, um, and like like Princess and the Frog, uh, the voodoo man is the one that messes with. So he, so these are the spirits that like the voodoo man can kind of like control and like tell what to do. Um, they're similar to ghosts, but they're uh, they have spotted, but they're oh, but they're spotted by their um, black shadows. So they're consistently showing black shadows. Uh, so the sleep paralysis movie that I watched is called Mara, and it actually came out in 2018. I've heard of this. What is it? Whoa, what is it streaming on? Right now it's on Vudu. Oh, okay. And Amazon Prime. Ah, that's probably where I've seen it from. Okay, interesting. I didn't know that's what this was. Yeah, like I said, it's sh- like Mara is creepy as fuck, but then they do like this weird background explanation for it, and it kind of so basically it. like watch it up to a point and then just turn it off. <laughs> Yeah, like mama like exactly. mama that's what you do with mama you turn off it you turn it off at the last 15 minutes there you go yes we should do both of those movies okay deal but we just won't watch the endings <laughs> yep we'll just say and that's where it ends um <clears throat> but yeah there's um i mean there's others that you've heard of you know krampus is one of them baba yaga they're they're everywhere they're 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 everywhere so so does Michael Myers fit the boogeyman idea? Yes. I mean, yeah. He. I would say so in certain ways. In a way, he kills. Originally, the original concept, he kills babysitters, promiscuous children, whether that was the intent or not. That's kind of the idea. Thorn. The cult of Thorn. The demon of Thorn. Real or imaginary. Just like this movie. So, as Katie said, Thorn is indeed a rune, and it does look like a tent. Although yes. Norse in origin, it is also called Thurisaz, or Thurs, in Icelandic and Norwegian rune poems. Basically, it translates to giant. As far as I can tell, there is no demon named Thorn, like they talked about. There's no Celtic god or demon or anything named Thorn that cursed children to murder their families. If you find something otherwise, send it to me. 
I tried really hard. I couldn't find anything. It's a rune. That's all I got. <laughs> it is, or there's an old Norwegian rune poem, and it's translated as thirst causes anguish to women and misfortune makes few men cheerful. It's hmm. broken English because it's not English, right? It's Norwegian. It's old Norwegian. <laughs> um, an old Icelandic rune poem translates... Thurse is torture of women and cliff dweller and husband of a giantess. Anglo-Saxon rune poem translates, The thorn is exceedingly sharp, an evil thing for a, anything to touch, uncommon, severe on all who sit among them. So like a thorn. Uh, like an thorn. actual thorn. Yeah, like an actual thorn. Like a, like a fucking like, rose thorn. Yep, like a bush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, RuneSecrets.com says key concepts are unconscious forces, sociological forces, Thor, Loki is giant, chaos, destruction by natural forces, complexities of aggression, conflicts, disputes, psychological problems, lightning, breakthrough, aggressive male sexuality, battering down barriers, thorn of awakening, trouble, and enthusiasm. So like a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> and to be fair, some of it does fit, you know, the Myers personality but i think in general runes are supposed to be neither good nor evil um it's interpretive subjective you know um the rune of thorn governs destruction of enemies curses binds and fetters awakening of the will to action breaking resistance of blockages in body mind and spirit Increased potency and prowess in romantic relationships, understanding of the division and separation of all things, aiming the use of psychic force, the combination of right-left brain processes for generating powerful realization. Huh. It is representative of Thor and his hammer, protecting Asgard from the Thurses, giants, who resist the expansion of consciousness through the multiverse. In every respect, the energies of Thurisas, or Thorn, are a forceful enemy of unconsciousness, ignorance, and the rule of brute violence. Rune lore emphasizes that runes are neutral and their energy varies by the person yielding it. In an example, the intention of a magician or like a witch must be clear and he or she must be sufficiently balanced so that his unconscious, his or her unconscious, doesn't interfere with her work. A layer of horror goes further to add that when the Latin alphabet became a thing, they kept only two runes, the thorn and the win. And if you don't remember, the win is the name of the doctor who the doctor. was kind of running this sect of the cult of thorn. Uh, somebody researched runes and then somehow fit that to a murderous cult. I don't know where they did that from. I don't know. Hey, you know, people are creative. <laughs> Which takes us to theories. We've talked about a bunch leading up until movie six. So here are some that are related to movie six and the cult of Thorn specifically. Based off of the producer's cut, Loomis yells at the end because the mark of Thorn appears on his wrist as if he was to take over the leader of the cult since Dr. Wynn died. And... Hmm. That wasn't in the version I saw, so him yelling doesn't mean shit to me. Right. 
also i'm not sure i would qualify that as a theory as much as is it as it is like in that version it happened you saw like, it yeah that's just that's that's that yeah <laughs> uh there's not really a whole lot of other theories that i could find so on the cult of thorn i think people were just so upset with this movie they don't even talk about it nobody cared it's it's not it. it's not talked about it's not done it's not it's the least liked out of every single one of them i mean i mean for fuck's sake the uh the reality tv movie one that was based off of it is better than this one yeah there's a i had a really hard time finding stuff because people didn't like it they don't care unlike some of the other mm-hmm. movies where i just like i found so much i couldn't stop so the rest of these are kind of just things that i put together because i was like Meh, i guess i'll do it myself thanks a lot people for making me think gosh <laughs> you have to do everything is i know so my own personal theory and katie tell me if you agree or disagree or if you want to add to it or if it makes sense okay okay <laughs> so my own theory is that the curse and the doctors explain why michael was able to go under the radar for so long and like kind of just fly by something that we've mentioned a lot is how dr loomis seems to be the only one who feels any urgency or sees myers as like a real threat and this can be explained when you consider that the doctors were protecting michael by downplaying his crazy and then really they knew exactly who he was what he was so in reality they're just making loomis go madly insane Yes. By just being like, well, fuck F. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, he's not going back there. Why would he go back there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they could have very well been like promoting his murderous tendencies of the other mm-hmm. children and whatever was going on in that hospital. Like covering them up and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Dr. Loomis is either like immune to this like charm that they have i guess over everybody maybe or dr Wynn allowed him to see the true myers because he had hoped that he would join them eventually um because hmm. he could be like hey look at all this power he has um you we, could have this <laughs> yeah we are controlling him like you could end this if you join us kind of a thing hmm hmm it's an interesting idea that's all I got. So, that's fair. Another one. Basically, uh, I have no theory to explain the psychic connection between Jamie and Myers. That's in the fifth movie. <laughs> it makes zero sense. I don't think it has anything to do with the cult ritual, unless it's them like passing it off to her. But again, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. I also don't understand why they had it had to be her specifically to like breed the next thorn child. Um, yeah, there's nowhere does it indicate that it has to be genetic. Uh, Incest is not the best, you guys. And I think maybe they just thought that Michael was so good that they wanted to keep his line going. I don't know. Hmm. The other thing is that they may have kept Jamie alive and wanted to continue the bloodline because if he finishes killing everyone in his family, his part in the curse is finished uh, because the demon thing was like, you have to kill everyone in your family and then you're good. So they wanted to like just keep the family line going so that they could continue to use him as like their own personal assassin. 
or whatever they were doing with him. That's an idea. Uh, that could also be another reason why Michael got real hateful <laughs> and ended up murdering them all. Uh, because he was like, I'm so fucking tired of you controlling me. And he he is driven by this curse to constantly be thinking of murdering his family. Like with those kids, they were like, oh, I can hear him in my head all the time telling me to murder them. And so he's like, dude, I just want to take a nap and you are not letting me because you are keeping my family alive. But if I kill them, I can take a, I can take a nap. I could go on vacation. Nap forever. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure that he like is tortured because he can't, like that's all he thinks about all the time. And they are promoting that. Um, so he was like, huh. maybe if I just kill them, then I can kill the rest of my family and be done with it. The other thought that I had is that um, to me, it makes sense that it's doctors who are promoting the continuation of the cult of Thorn. Because the whole idea is to protect people from sickness and death. And that is what doctors do. And so if it was handed down, or if they stumbled upon the ritual or something, and they thought that maybe they could control death in some way uh, through, you know, the lives of many through sacrifice of a few or something like that. Yeah. So I think that whether they stumbled upon it or it was passed down, it makes sense to me that doctors are the ones continuing that whole cult and running the damn thing. Yeah. It's probably the closest idea you're going to get. <laughs> and oddly, it could also explain why there are no doctors in the hospital in Haddonfield in the second movie. <laughs> Yeah, dude, for real. That fucking hospital was the emptiest hospital I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, they could have just been like, hey, everyone take the day off. And then Myers could run rampant and do whatever he wanted. Yeah, sure. And that is all the theories that I could come up with that have anything to do with this one. <laughs> I, think um, it, I think it works. I did find some other theories that are unrelated to the Cult of Thorn. And the first one is that the spirit of Chucky, and you'll have to... Ooh, I have, love Chucky. Yeah, you'll have to contribute to this one because I haven't actually watched any of the I love Chucky. Jobs um, plays the shit. <laughs> the spirit of Chucky, the doll, possesses Michael. No, that wouldn't work. Um... The reasons that I could find why that wouldn't work, the timelines don't match up for that. No. And I don't know why else, because I didn't watch the movies. You tell me. Okay, there's no way that that would work, first off. Um, like, yes, you can, in that way, like, yeah, he can he can transfer himself his, his soul to another body and stuff like that. But um, it doesn't make sense why he would be, why Michael would be silent, because Chucky can speak just fine. Chucky... He can speak through a fucking doll. If Char if Charles Lee Ray can speak through a doll, then he can fucking speak through a fucking human if he transfers his soul into another human. Because you're just taking you're just taking over the like the as host of that body basically. And does Ch Chucky has a lot of personality, right? Like he's incredible not... amount, dude. He's he has so much spunk and is so fucking funny and is so like cheesily dumb. Now let's remember, I had a Chucky doll as a as a child. So. Good times. I loved that doll. I tried to um, steal that doll. I know you did. 
I, that's why he that's why chucky will be on this arm he's been a part of my life since i was a fucking baby dude like the, i loved that doll the things we tell our therapists when they're like how was your childhood <laughs> i owned a chucky doll what yeah i didn't know it was a chucky doll at the time uh it was it, just it was cool it was just a red-headed little soulless thing like you <laughs> yeah, yeah man uh so no, that there's no way that that would work. The timelines obviously don't match up, but the but, uh, but yeah. And then the only other thing that I could think of is a very cheesy and kind of like a cop out, I would say, explanation, and that is that everything after Judith's murder is actually just the imaginings of Michael while he's in that catatonic state as a patient. And so, in like reality, he didn't kill like anybody. Yes, and those are just like his mind escapes, like his happy place while he's his, ha- his happy place of murdering people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is why I think this. Uh, he features very heavily Dr. Loomis in his visions or his, I'm going to call them his happy place. Okay. So his, in, ramp- his rampages. Yep. In his happy place, Dr. Loomis. <laughs> has the biggest parts he is the hero he has a lot of conversations um he is the misunderstood and ignored hero because that is the person michael had the most contact with while he was in the hospital dr loomis spent 15 years talking to michael and trying various things to get him to talk that's fair so that's why he focuses so heavily on Dr. Loomis and he is the hero in his, the you know, quote hero in his stories because that's the only person in his life that is doing anything good. <laughs> right. All of the responses Dr. Loomis gets about how quiet and undangerous Michael is are echoes of what he hears orderlies and nurses saying around him uh, because he's catatonic. He's not reacting. Yeah. That's what he hears. So that's what he is, you know, thinking in his head. He doesn't know how to function and talk normally, so in his imagination, he doesn't have to. He doesn't know what his voice sounds like, so he doesn't do that. He knows what Dr. Loomis sounds like, so that's why he's in there. He chooses his victims as teens and their relationship issues most often because that is what he was exposed to the most, as seen in the first Halloween when he kills his sister after she had relations with a boy. Uh, so those are his life experiences. I'm sure nurses and orderlies talk too. So those could be stories he's hearing around huh. there. He's in a child ward. So that's why that those are his focuses. Uh, his other victims are typically medical providers and police officers. All people who probably have mistreated him during his time there. Or that he sees as enemies because they locked him up. They put him in there. They're not taking care of him. All that jazz. Like, those are the people he doesn't even intricately kill. He just murders them real quick. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. It also explains why the story is kind of wishy-washy and bounces around. Because as he grows, he can change the story to meet his own goals and intentions at that time. So perhaps Halloween... Why he can always walk, but always catch him? Yes, exactly. (laughs) While they are driving away, he just happens to know exactly where they're going to be and walks there faster. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So in Halloween 4, it could be a reflection of him wishing he could pass on his legacy or find a companion who can relate to him. 
If he heard lots of conversations asking about any history of mental illness in the family, this would promote him passing the test to a relative. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, just as he gets older, things change, his ideas change, he hears different things. So. And everything just keeps going on. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, I that, can see that. Yeah, that basically rounds out that theory. It's like a super cheesy cop-out, I, I know, but it also fits. I like it. So, yeah. It's like the happy side of something. <laughs> exactly. So if they just, at the very end of one of the Halloween movies, did a little clip where he was sitting in the sanitarium, just staring out a window, and it was like in his head. There you go. Explains it all. You figured it out. <laughs> Carpenter, uh, here's my number. Call me. Let's get this on the line. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's finish this shit. Yeah. Email me at horrorcat. <laughs> uh, a fun but miscellaneous thing that I found to uh, lighten the mood of this ultra-depressing sexual assault child abuse movie. Yeah. Ha- Halloween Wiki has a timeline called the Call of Duty timeline. And okay. So I guess... Michael Myers appears as a field order reward in the Call of Duty Ghosts downloadable content content pack onslaught within the map Fog. I am speaking a different language. None of those words mean anything to me. <laughs> I get it. I never. I didn't get him. But that's interesting. I didn't know that. Players get to listen to the Halloween movie theme while they play as Michael Myers wielding an axe, which was not really ever his weapon of choice, but... Whatever. He uses it once in Halloween 6. Uh, Wiki describes him as having a similar stats as the Juggernaut and the Maniac from the 13 Ghosts remake. When Michael Myers is killed, his, quote, red soul disappears with bats because his health regenerates slightly with kills. It is thought that he harvests their souls. So every time you kill somebody, his health, like, increases. Interesting. When he dies, the nursery rhyme from the first movie plays... That's the opening credits, if you don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. It says in the notes that if the player chooses to be a female, then when Myers gets damaged, they breathe as a female. Um, I don't know how a female breathes <laughs> compared to a male. Maybe it's just like a soft whimper. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, lastly, Myers is the first horror-themed guest character to appear in the Call of Duty series, followed by Leatherface and Billy the Puppet later on. He also is featured in another video game called Dead by Daylight. He appears as the killer of Chapter 2, the it- Halloween chapter, released October 2016. I love Dead by Daylight. It is a very fun game. I play it all the time with my friends. And that's it's really fun. Playing my playing Michael is crazy. Playing against Michael is crazy, I should say. And that concludes all of our notes for Halloween six and the Cult of Thor timeline. We did it. I'm and, proud of us. Uh I don't know what timeline we're gonna do next, but we will announce it on our Instagram, which yes. you can follow at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats same thing for our facebook before we like officially close out final thoughts are i didn't like this movie 
as part it of- should not have been made <laughs> i love that paul red was in it he was the only redeeming thing in this movie yeah. for me yeah i would agree otherwise maybe it don't. should not have been made yeah just don't watch it think about it if you have like 17 endings to a fucking script go rewrite the whole thing go back to the beginning and read through it go, just go take a look at it and then like a good solid ending should probably come to you and if not and if there's like there's one way to do it okay fine 17 ways is not one way <laughs> if you disagree with anything we've said or if you have different research or something you want to share you can yeah Sorry, oh, that I'm was excited really about that aggressive. one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you can email it to us at horror cats. Okay. <laughs> I had to space out that. Horror cats at gmail.com. It's all one word. And otherwise, uh, follow, like, subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, we promise to get better about our timing with our episodes. If you want to see something specific next, let us, Let us know. know. Tell us what you want us to do. We'll we'll try and fit it in somewhere. That's all I got. <laughs>